Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today, I have a special guest who is not a pharmacist, but rather a patient, Soli Leal. She's a high school student in Arizona and daughter of former guest on the podcast and president-elect for APHA, Sandra Leal and is also a type 1 diabetic and advocate for the insulin for all movement, if you will. So, Soli, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, the pleasure is all mine because I, I really like when I can speak with people who are younger, and I don't mean younger than young pharmacists in their 30s or late 20s, but somebody who's truly younger in you who's a type 1 diabetic who has written a few pieces now on what it is to be a diabetic and type 1 diabetic specifically, and some of the issues you face with insulin. So thanks for writing those. And I think the other thing to commend you on is that you wrote them in two different languages. So you're way ahead of me on that part. So that's awesome. <laughs> and I think that that's really impressive with someone your age is able to do that. Thank you. So uh, like kind of what I mentioned is I wanted you on the podcast here because I think it's important that young people like you open people's minds and their opinions to kind of what it is to be diabetic. A lot of times people think of somebody who's older, who didn't take care of themselves, people who eat like garbage, don't exercise, but you're none of that. And you're a type one diabetic. So for you, insulin is essential to live. And any pharmacist listens podcast will know that. But I really want to kind of give it that type one diabetic perspective. So, you know, can you explain your path in becoming a type one diabetic and kind of like how you got to, you know, writing this article about insulin and type one diabetes? Sure. So I always grew up around type one diabetes. I have some relatives and then my mom who's very knowledgeable in that area. So I always knew about it and I knew that I actually had a a chance of developing type 1 diabetes. So we would go get tested to see if I had antibodies. And then one about about nine months ago, because I've only had diabetes since since February, but I was developing the symptoms of drastic thirst. And I was complaining to my parents about having to wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom so many times. And, and then after that, they decided that it was time to test me because that's, that's a pretty significant sign. And of having high blood sugar. So I, I've just been kind of these last nine months of, of during this pandemic, I've been trying to learn more about my diabetes and the way that my body is reacting to insulin and how to take care of myself. And it's actually a, quite a fortunate thing for me when it's, it's like in the worst circumstances that I've had this time to be away from going on trips and out of country to being able to focus up on myself at home with my parents who are experienced. And just this learning process kind of led me to wanting to write about that and taking a, and wanting to be an advocate for it as I'm not really doing anything else during this time. It was a good opportunity for me to start doing research, learn more about myself, learn about others in this situation and how I can help now and in the future. What was that like emotionally for you to kind of get that diagnosis knowing that you had a predisposition to it was it was it tough or was it easier because you expected it it was definitely surreal because i would when i did get the test the antibody test when i was younger it was always negative and it's actually i believe like a 0.01% for somebody to have diabetes from their parents genetically and so that was unfortunate and i've never i've never expected to have diabetes and my family never either. So I think it was very disappointing because I already knew 
what it was like to have it. And it was just something I kind of just brought, took out of my mind that it would never happen to me. But I do believe that having the support that I had with my parents and the knowledge that I had behind it made it made me feel a lot more comfortable being newly diagnosed. And I knew that it wouldn't it wouldn't be as bad as if I were somebody that didn't know anything about type 1 diabetes. So it was very disappointing, very emotional. But I know that it would be so different if I didn't have the family that I have with and the knowledge I had before. Yeah. Eric, if I, can, if I can add to from a parent's perspective, when you have a child and they, you know, and they develop type 1 diabetes or any other chronic condition, it's, you know, your worst nightmare because you just immediately think, especially with a healthcare background, you know the complexities of healthcare, you know the, the burden it's going to be for the rest of their lives. And then just you think about all the things that you're trying to advocate for, the cost of care, continuity of care with healthcare. Today, the Supreme Court was hearing the Affordable Care Act on pre-existing conditions being one of the, the key things that was part of that legislation, uh, ensuring your child to fill their 26 things that really matter. Um, those are all things that immediately rush to your mind because this is your child. So it puts it into a totally different ballpark about how you feel. Yeah. And, you know, following along almost a similar timeline as kind of you solely, I became a new parent during this uh, pandemic. So I've been it's been good for me to be at home to kind of learn myself, but also kind of it puts me in your mom's shoes for the listeners. That was Sandra Leal, who was just on speaking about her daughter. I, I now have that perspective that, you know, when I go to the doctor's office and I'm like, oh, God, like every time I'm like fingers crossed, like, oh, God, please be OK. Please have nothing wrong. Please. No, no news is good news. That's all I want is no news every single time I go in there. And maybe, you know, like you said, it's just because I'm a healthcare professional. And I know what can go wrong and, you know, the, the craziness that can ensue from that. But it, it really does put the emotional weight on this. that I think so many people overlook when it comes to any diagnosis, but especially one like type one diabetes that will follow you around for the rest of your life. So I think that, you know, I, I don't want to make sure that we understate that enough, but to your point, the Affordable Care Act has a major cutouts to help fit those things. Knowing that you're seeing this sit in front of the Supreme Court and I guess what it looks like, it's going to be upheld. Now, like, I don't want to jump the gun and then be wrong, but does that make you a little bit more comfortable knowing that there, you have some things like that to fall back on solely to take care of your medical needs? Definitely. And being a minor and not really understanding the whole healthcare system and just my parents pretty much deal with the insurance. So definitely having something that I can depend on when I'm older, that I'm, it's not going to all fall on my shoulders when I turn 26. It would be very relieving because I don't even know the half of what is to come for me when I'm dependent, when I'm independent. Yeah. And, and to your point there, there's a lot of people who are much older than you, much older than me, who study healthcare and help build healthcare, who still don't fully understand it. So expect someone like you as a teenager to be able to fully comprehend it is just, you know, mind boggling and doesn't make sense. So it just kind of proves the point of how complex healthcare is. Now, part of this article you wrote, one, it was amazing, especially since you're a teenager who wrote it, because I read it and I was like, I would be able to write this, but I'm, you know, 35 years old and have a doctorate degree. It's a little bit different scale of what I'm trying to write versus what you're writing. And I thought that you wrote something that was a very good blend of the late person with a professional touch. And then clearly lots of research dove into this about uh, type one diabetes, and insulin prices. Can you elaborate kind of like what you found on like insulin prices and type one diabetes with stuff like that? Well, from 
being a digital advocate with Type 1 International, I've learned a lot more about insulin prices and all the problems with the system and why we can't get it down. But one of the things I, I learned about that was that there's a lot of non-medical switches of insulin because of the insurance companies and what they what they cover. Just because of the the business portion of it, they can just switch it. And I just think that was that was something I was very surprised about because I hear about how unaffordable insulin is and how hard it is to access it. But just from a day to day having type one diabetes and if your insulin just had to switch, that was something that stuck with stuck with me throughout my research and how unfair that is that people's way of life and their dependency on insulin could just be thrown up in the air for business purposes. Yeah. And you know, I see that every day working at your common like retail community pharmacy where they're making people switch between not ones year on, but like Bastoglar Atlantis are pretty common or Humalog Novolog for some of those quick acting ones. And like you said, a lot of it is just pure business reason. And because of, as a, as a pharmacist, it fresh is frustrating. Not only because I have to give someone bad news about their, either their insurance or what's covered, but a lot of times I'm not empowered to make that switch. Have you had any issues when you walked up to a pharmacy since you've been diagnosed getting your insulin? And if so, could you elaborate on them? I haven't personally gone into a pharmacy because of just many things. But the other day, my mother got a phone call that my insulin was ready. And for some reason, our insurance wasn't going to cover it. And it it was $900 for about a month, three months worth of insulin. Three months worth of insulin for $900. What, what was your reaction when you heard that price? I was astounded because I, I thought I heard $90 for my mom. I first she, I thought she said $90 and I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty expensive. And then she corrected me in $900. And I just couldn't believe that because I don't even have $900 in my bank account. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, so you know, if, go ahead. Go if ahead. I can elaborate, Eric. You know, as a, as a pharmacist, I'm, I'm a pharmacist, a certified diabetes educator. I think I understand, you know, healthcare coverage, prior authorizations pretty well. And I can tell you my experience um, dealing with this is incredible. Uh, just to try to figure out what pharmacies are covered, mail order, you know, we're being pushed to mail order for some of the supplies, some durable medical equipment. So we is, you know, um, lucky enough to have an insulin pump and, uh, sense, and the uh, continuous uh, glucose monitor. But we have so much fragmentation. We have to go to a durable medical equipment company. We have to go to a pharmacy, a mail order. So just to keep track of all of these things, is, I feel like it's a, a full-time job in itself. And not to mention the cost of, of deductibles, the uh, co-pays, the, you know, just all of the costs. I always feel like I, I, I knew this before because I used to work in a federally qualified health center and work directly with patients I see everyday struggle, um, but to have all of the the resources that we have, language, transportation, healthcare coverage, a, an income, and still struggle is appalling. And so you put yourself in the shoes of people that have less, and and you can imagine how challenging it is for people to try to stay adherent, uh, adherent or try to stay compliant. All these terms or labels that people are given that is sometimes beyond their ability to because the system is so fragmented, it doesn't make it easy. And to the point of this insurance, we, that pharmacy where we got the call, 
uh, they didn't take the insurance, so we ended up having to switch to a different one. That's why we were getting that particular charge for the insulin amount. Uh, okay. But pretty surprising. Uh, it's just every day. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's huge. And, you know, my heart always goes out to people like Soli uh, here because being type 1 diabetic, you have to have insulin to just survive, like period, you know, so you don't, you're not going through all the symptoms like you had before. In some of your research, Soli, did you kind of notice that kind of what we alluded to earlier, that there's maybe a difference with the way people with type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetes are treated or with how they're perceived or how they're handled when it comes to some of these things? I definitely believe that there's a negative perception of type 2 diabetes, and I do not like that. I think that it's it's difficult. There's Since there's a stigma around type 2 diabetes and taking insulin, since they produce their own insulin, their body can still make that. I think that it drives a lot of people away from taking care of themselves and taking the insulin that they need so they can function and feel good because I know what it feels like to have high blood sugar and it's not a good feeling and nobody should despite what type of diabetes you have they shouldn't feel that way and I think there's plenty of insulin for people with type 1 diabetes who are 100% insulin dependent and people with type 2 diabetes that there shouldn't really be such a division between the two and who should get coverage for the insulin and I think that just the negative the negative perception is more damaging to helping people reverse their type 2 diabetes than encouraging them to take to improve their lives in their health. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. And I've, I've seen that just in like pharmacies I've worked in and how I've seen people on the street talk about it. Well, maybe not on the street, but, you know, in, in conversation, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one thing that, you know, you kind of mentioned in your article was, Uh, insulin for all and that kind of movement to make sure that everybody who needs insulin has access to it in your mind. Now I know price is always going to be an issue. What are some steps you think that we could take, you know, as somebody who's type one diabetic, who's kind of new to this, what are some steps that you think we could take either in healthcare or in pharmacy or in any aspect of healthcare to really make sure that people are, are getting the insulin they need in an appropriate and professional and like as they need it fashion. I know there are, quite a bit of programs that the, the three large companies are doing, like Lily, Nova Nordisk, and, well, I know there are a lot of programs out there for people. I think the one of the most difficult thing is that there's just need to dig really deep, and there, you, I feel like there are resources out there, but they are not easy to find, not necessarily easy to access, and if, if they were more known and because if people are working full-time jobs, they're not going to have the time or money to be looking around. If the pharmacy calls them and says it's going to be $200, it's not, it doesn't, sometimes it just doesn't make sense to fight it if you don't know that there are other ways and other solutions. So definitely being an advocate for yourself and finding the solution that fits you. And I don't know if there's an actual solution and if bargain hunting per se could is sustainable for somebody's life, but I think it should be something that is explored. Yeah, and you know, since it is something that's absolutely essential for these people's lives, I, I really believe that if you look at it from a, a bigger standpoint and just kind of how the US takes care of people, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, to me this falls under a large part of that first one. Now I know that you know people argue it's not your right, you can't take you have to take care of yourself. But especially when we're talking about type one diabetics here, which is like, like you are this is essential to life. So I do feel that 
especially for type one, this should definitely be taken care of or make sure that there's always some means to access it or that, you know, there's something program that a pharmacy can do or is empowered to do, especially through the ACA or what what have you to really make sure that you have your insulin because you need it. Like, you know, I can't, I can't tell you to hold your blood sugar or like hold your breath and like hope that's going to work out here. You know what I mean? Like just don't go eat anything. That's, that's a great solution, you know? And so I really feel like when it, and I kind of focus more on type one just because that's, it's something that was never in your control. Whereas type two, at least sometime partly was, but I think there, like you said, there's a lot of overlap there that you can't just single out one or the other. We need to make sure that people have access to it. And I do think that maybe if the, federal government worked a little bit more to help drive those prices down and maybe make it, I don't want to say pure free market. This is one where maybe we want to dial in some of those uh, powers that be to, you know, make sure that the price is kept lower so that people can have this because you're talking that, you know, when you get sick, you miss school. If someone like your mom gets sick, she misses work or she misses taking care of you. And you have this spiral effect that is a huge economic issue for like lost productivity, lost schoolwork, lost education. That, you know, if you know, say you go to college and you start missing classes, now you fall behind, now you might have to switch majors, now you might have something else, which is all the more reason why you really, like you said, you have to be your own advocate, stay on top of this, because you don't want to be negatively impacted by it. So that's kind of what I always thought that, you know, it might be something that mm-hmm. you could push for here with some of your, your next writings or as a, as a young advocate when you go and talk to people, because I really think that it's not fair to put extra burden on you when you already have an extra burden of just being type one diabetic. Does that make sense? Yes. hundred percent agree. And if I could add something I've been saying, I was very surprised when you said life, liberty, and this is a pursuit of happiness. Cause I've said that quite a bit to my parents. <laughs> and I'm like, that's life. If people are dying from wrestling insulin, that's not life. And that kind of goes against what America is built on. So I'm, very pleased to hear you say that as well. Yeah, you know what? I we didn't plan this out ahead of time, but we just happened to agree with that line that we came to on our own fruition each time here. But you're right because <laughs> you know you can have somebody who's and will you say they're not a healthcare professional? Say they're a lawyer and they're working in an office, working in an office. If they can't work, you know, because they can't take care of their health issue, hey, you know, that's lost productivity. That's lost everything else. And if they end up in the hospital. Now they're not making money, they're losing money because they have to pay it or their health insurance is. And so it ends up just being a huge spiral when people can't get the insulin that they need. Now, obviously, it's not like insulin is something you can abuse either. If you abuse it, you're going to be in the hospital too. So this isn't like mm-hmm. opioids or anything like that that we hear about all the time. So I think it's a little bit different when it comes to something like that. Would you agree? Definitely. I'm sure your mom complains to you about pharmacy all the time. And as a son of a pharmacist growing up myself, I get it. So if your mom's ever boring you with some of this stuff, I will come to your defense if you need me to. But uh, what do you see someone like your mom would be able to do to help diabetics? Even if she's in my role, like the pharmacist who's working out in the community at the at the CVS, the Walgreens, the Rite Aid, the, the stores like that. Well, first off, my mom doesn't complain about pharmacy. She loves it. It's her <laughs> second love um, from her family. So definitely she is very passionate about that. But I would say just definitely for mainly just medical professions and people practicing like just physicians, having empathy towards people with type 1 diabetes because it is people with type 1 diabetes, it's on their mind constantly. And that's one of our biggest concerns is anything with like, do we have the medical supplies? Is our insulin going to blow? Is, are we going to go low? 
And just sometimes I hear like, it just seems like it's just like a condition on a paper and it doesn't have any connotation to the, the, the doctors or the person speaking to us. Like, for example, I have a friend that's going into surgery and the surgeons, I don't think they understood or processed really what it meant that she would have type 1 diabetes and that she would go under anesthesia. And they were saying that they might have to take out our infusion set, which as somebody with type 1 diabetes, that's very scary because right. that's, that's what we depend on 100% of the time. And it's always on our minds and we need to have that support in anything just or just let us take care of it because that's what we're the best at doing that. So what I'm hearing from you is more support from an emotional or mental health side because of the, the just how much stress it puts on you. And I think of it, again, as a new parent, you know, you're like, hey, you know, what's my daughter doing? Where is this? You can't leave her alone for a single second. It's the same way with your diabetes, except it's physically within you and people can't see it, right? Yes. Okay. So I think that's a good call out too, is making sure that you just talk to people about what they're, where they're at mentally and emotionally when it comes to stuff like, like diabetes or type one diabetes, like you said, that's a, that's a huge call I didn't think of, but that, I really, really, really like that because we do a bad job in this country in general with mental health, but especially, you know, focusing on a subset that when we sit, sit there and see that they get insulin, having an extra question or two for them, just ask them how they're doing, you know, how's everything going can make a huge difference with them. If they say they're always stressed out, maybe we can take, take something and get a solution for them. Like you said, because as your, as your mom said, the system is so fragmented. Sometimes you might get your test strips from here, your insulin from here, then you might get, you know, something else at another medical supply store or something like that. So I think it's a good call out for the mental and emotional health standpoint of it all. What are the thoughts, ideas, or possible projects or writings do you have that you might want to work on in the future when it comes to stuff like medication or insulin and insulin prices? I definitely want to continue being an advocate and I am a digital advocate for type one international. So that's something I really enjoy doing and I want to keep doing that. And mainly just as I grow and learn more about it, especially because I have parents who are super supportive. They tell me I can do anything. My diabetes doesn't hold me back from anything. And I know that some people I've met at diabetes camp, their parents aren't, don't view it the same way. So I hope that I can be an advocate, a friend, an ally to other people with diabetes and give them the encouragement and continue writing when I, and as I grow and learn more, I would like, I would like to continue writing about this just on the side and be a guide for others as much as I can be. Yeah, no, I, th I think you have already built a good platform of that. Like I said, your mom shared your article. I read it and I saw it got shared a few more places. And I'm like, man, this really hits home because you can see that the person's writing it from their own personal experience. And, you know, one thing I would love to see someone like you do is when it comes to some of these things, like standing up for people is, uh, you know, reach out to your state legislators or your, even your federal legislators, because a lot of times when stuff comes from kids, it means a lot more. And I don't want to call you a kid. I mean, we know you're a teenager, but you know, like somebody who's on the younger side, because you don't really have a dog in the fight other than to look out for yourself and people like you, you know, you're truly fighting a, a noble cause when it comes to stuff like this. You're not trying to make more money or, you know, have some angle to, uh, to get more power because of this. You're truly fighting it from a, an altruistic standpoint and one of just concern for your own well being and people like you, which I think is very noble. So I hope to I hope to see more from you, but I also know I will see more from you because of the support you have from people like your mom and your family. So I'm looking forward to that. I am too. <laughs> Great. One thing I always ask people before they leave the podcast, and this is going to be a little different for you just because you might not know some of the stuff as much. If you could change one thing about pharmacy 
maybe even type one diabetes and how it's treated at a pharmacy, what would it be? If I could change one thing about pharmacy, I would give them healthcare provider status. I know my mom has been fighting for it for as long as she's been in love with pharmacy. And I think it would make such a difference for accessibility, especially in rural communities, since the pharmacist can sometimes be the only doctor and what what an impact they could make if they just had that that status, which they are very qualified for. They go to the schooling to, to have that knowledge about the medications, something that is very similar and comparable to a doctor. So I definitely think that pharmacist provider status would be something I would change. That's awesome. And actually, you know, I, I know your mom's been preaching that for a while. It means more to me to hear from someone like you just because I know that I can directly impact you in a positive way by having that. So thank you for supporting that cause. If there was one law about pharmacy or type 1 diabetes or insulin that you thought could make a big difference if it was changed, what would it be if, if you could change it? I believe that healthcare for all would be something that would make a huge difference. And again, just like regulating drug prices and co-pays for insulin, since it's, such, it's something that People cannot control that they need. Well, type 1 diabetes specifically, you cannot control that you need that. And I think that if at least it was just more laws on accessibility and making it affordable for the person and their situation. Yeah, I think that's huge too because in not the same thing as diabetes, but when you're looking at drugs, like I work with a lot of HIV patients and you know, you have to have your HIV medicine or else you're going to have a serious issue on your hands. And the mm-hmm. prices of those things are probably more than insulin, depending on how much you use in a given month. But I mean, they're thousands of dollars every single month. And a lot of them can get some qualifying, not almost like kickbacks, but discounts and stuff like that. But it's still another very expensive and hard to treat disease state. So, so thanks for coming on here. I appreciate it. I really love your exuberance to help kind of advocate for type one diabetes. And uh, I'm super looking forward to what you're going to do in the future. So keep kicking butt and keep writing and keep advocating for people who are just like you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Hey, listeners, if, you, if you're if you diabetic or you know someone who's diabetic, please share this episode. I can't say how much it really means to me to have someone like Soli on here because of what she's going through and how open she is to share it when some other people aren't nearly this open to discuss their, their basic health issues when it comes to topics like type 1 diabetes. So if you can share this, I appreciate it. And as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics. Yeah.